Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Jennifer McNelly. Welcome to Women in Manufacturing Radio. I'm Jennifer McNelly and the host for today's show. Please join us today on hashtag women and MFG. Women represent a vast talent pool in the United States. We total about 47% of the U.S. labor force, but only 29% of the manufacturing workforce. This gap presents an opportunity for women in manufacturing to share their story and help inspire the next generation. I'm honored today to be joined by Pamela Kahn, Group President for Bishop Weiscarver Group. Pamela, thank you for joining us here today. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. I know it's early on your time zone today. Before it we is. dive into yes. <laughs> Before we dive into your journey in manufacturing, tell me a little bit more about Bishop Weiscarver and your role as the president. Yeah, Bishop Weiscarver is a family-owned business. I'm second generation, and I have been there now, um, well, 27 years, and it is the company's uh, 68th year of business. And we're located outside of San Francisco in Pittsburgh, California, the Pittsburgh without an H. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never heard that before. As long as I've known you, the Pittsburgh without an H. I'll have to remember that. It gets confusing for customers. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let's talk a little bit about manufacturing leadership. I know you're incredibly active in manufacturing and representing the industry, um, both domestically and even internationally. So talk to me a little bit about what you see as the greatest challenge facing manufacturers today. Well, I think it's definitely the, the skills gap issue, which you're starting to hear a lot more of. Uh, it's, it's, it's well documented. And I, I think when it comes to skills gap, I think what drives the difference there is going to be getting more parents and teachers advocating for this industry as a viable career option. The myths of manufacturing industry, I think, will, can be dispelled uh, if the realities and the opportunities of uh, what manufacturing offered is, is, is told to the students. Um, you know, manufacturing provides well-paying, fulfilling careers for all sorts of educational levels, whether you want to go to a four-year school or a career tech type of school, but I think the gap really is around the parents and the teachers knowing that this is such a viable opportunity for their children and their students. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you made this statement for individuals at all education levels because I, I frequently hear, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to go to college to be in manufacturing. And I think though you can enter in at that point if you want to, you know, get to the C-suite, you do need that. So I think that sort of reframes education more towards career advancement and purpose, which Uh I think is really powerful, you know, back to winning over parents. (laughs) You know, parents want their students to succeed for a lifetime, their kids and teachers, sorry, parents want their kids to succeed for a lifetime. So being able to say it's not just, you know, education at that point in time. I think that's really powerful. Sometimes I think manufacturers miss that message. Well, and technology is changing so much, whether you're on the production floor or on the uh, office side of manufacturing, that, you know, we're constantly doing educational programs to keep our 
uh, employees up to date. So it's not like you can, it's a one and done, that you can go to school, you get what you need, and you come in. I mean, education is a constant process with how fast uh, technology is changing with the type of machinery that we have to the programs and the software we're running on the office side. Yeah, that's great. So talk to me a little bit about how you're adjusting or leading in this changing landscape. What does that mean for you as the president? Well, uh, I try to actually get involved in the, the solution versus just complaining about the problem. So I have been involved in the National Association of Manufacturers and their Manufacturing Institute here in California, uh, Governor Brown appointed me to the Workforce Development Board for the state, and I served on that for quite a few years. I actually just came off of that board uh, last year, uh, working with the Workforce Development Boards across the country, trying to make sure that the opportunities that they're offering to those without a job, uh, that the, the education is relevant to the manufacturing base here out in this, in this state. Um, I get very involved in all the STEM-based uh, education in, in the Bay Area, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we've also been sponsors at a national level as well as for local teams for FIRST Robotics for, I think, 10 or 11 years now. Mm. So. We're trying to do. We're trying to get involved for a company our size, uh, as as much as possible to be part of the dialogue, to to change what's happening uh, around skills gap, and in education, and open uh, the eyes of the students that this is not a dying industry, but actually a really vibrant. Uh, creative, technology-focused career. Yeah. Well, and when you think about the Bay Area, I don't know that anybody naturally thinks about manufacturing, yet you're sort of in the heart of global technology and thought leadership. So that blending of the two is really important for people to understand. And, it, you know, and California is, you know, our, our GDP as a state is, up there as a country, depending on what you read. I think right now they're saying we're the sixth largest GDP in the world. And while uh, the number of manufacturers has been shifting in our state, it, it's still a huge part of the economy of this state. Well, and of the world. I yes. think you're absolutely <laughs> California in and of itself is larger than most countries. Yes. So, and I, I, I appreciate your leadership, Pamela. It's part of why I wanted to have you on the show because I do know that um, you're tireless in your approach with the community and its importance. And I know that's actually been recognized. In 2016, you received the Mary Lehman McLaughlin Economic Empowerment Award from the Women's uh, President's Organization, WPO. I, I really love the term economic empowerment. That's powerful. That's about, you know, driving the economy, driving family, driving community. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about the award and, and what that means to you as a leader in manufacturing and as a woman leader in manufacturing? Sure. It was 
so this is this was a total surprise when I won this award, and it was really an honor. This is a very emotional award for WPO as well because it honors the woman who gave the seed money to Marsha Firestone, who started WPO. And so um, the award focuses on economic empowerment, and winning was just additional validation for me that the hard work that both me and my team uh, are doing was recognized on behalf of our own success. And, you know, when I took over the company, the company financially um, had a lot of tough years, but, you know, I was committed to leading the company in a way that keeps us economically independent. Uh, and so we have no debt as a company, and we have really good cash reserves. We made uh, our first acquisition in 2015, which was really exciting, and I was able to do that as an all-cash transaction. I didn't have to borrow any money. And, you know, that type of economic strategy takes a commitment from, uh, you know, my entire leadership team to run the company in a way uh, that keeps us really financially strong. Um, It's also about what we do internally for our people and the programs that we offer people. And as I mentioned before, we, uh, we spend a lot of money on education and supporting people in going to school. And if they want to, like you said, if they're on a C-suite sort of path, to uh, pay for them going back to school if they want to get uh, an MBA and that type of thing. We do a lot of programs in-house just to make it, you know, a nice place to work in terms of we have a masseuse that comes in, we have, we give everybody a gym membership. Uh, We just, we have a lot of internal programs that um, round out the experience uh, for every employee and give them a lot of benefits more than just what's physically in their paycheck. Yeah, I was like, okay, sign me up. Where's my office? Um, what day is the masseuse there? But, you know, sometimes in, in the world of work, we forget about the whole person. Yet that's yeah. really important. <laughs> I'm guessing you have really low turnover with the whole person focus. Why, why would you leave when the investment is in me as an individual? That's, yeah, that's awesome. you know, um, it's always hard out here in California, and especially as the millennials are, are coming into work, I think um, they have a little, little different viewpoint. But, you know, I have been lucky to have uh, many long-term people. We just celebrated, uh, you know, anniversaries. We get together as a company and have a lunch together every uh, once, at least once a month. Sometimes we do it a lot more than that. Um, but we just celebrated two employees at 20 years and, and two at 15 years. So, yeah, that gives me a lot of satisfaction to be able to have people uh, stick with us. But it is a challenge for a smaller company because we're fairly flat in our organizational structure. So for for us, sometimes it's tough when somebody comes and joins the company to say, you know, here's here's your career path because – Sometimes it's the path isn't there until the company's grown to the next milestone, and then we can add that position, and then we can promote them. So it's uh, that part can be a bit of a challenge, and we have some very tough uh, companies to compete against in 
in the Bay Area, so we do get headhunted a lot from our team. Yeah. Well, that's tough. I know how that goes, too. <laughs> so it's I'm hard, take, you know, if you've got one yeah. of those big-name companies coming and trying to offer you a big package, you know, yeah. especially if you're younger, it can it can look very appealing, And uh, but we try to keep people as long as possible. Well, and I think that's important, and ultimately, you know, the grass is always greener is usually never really the case. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of advantages of being in a small environment, and I, I think maturity helps inform that a little bit more. I think one's values and priorities shift as you get older. We've had several come back exactly because they've sent a note saying, Oh, wow. It, you know, you get caught up in the name, but it wasn't the same experience, especially being in a smaller company where you really, where everybody really does know you. And uh, it's, it's a very different environment. Yeah, that's wonderful, and I, I just I love the culture that you've created in the company. Um, okay, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit, and I'm going to go back to the early Pamela. I want to talk uh, about your early years and how what you did in school really helped inform and shape um, taking over the family business. So what was your favorite subject in school? In high school, my favorite subject was chemistry, and I just Ooh. was fascinated by chemistry and I was lucky I had a teacher where uh, he you know didn't matter that I was you know a young girl he asked me to be his teacher's assistant and I I really love um, chemistry lab maybe because I'm also I love to bake and the two are very similar actually baking and chemistry there and um, so I went to school thinking I'm going to be a pharmacist and I'm going to do chemistry all day long, and then realized you know pharmacy is actually way more biology, um, and so I I ended up switching my major. But that that was my that was my favorite subject you know as as a younger younger woman in school. Well, I'm sure it serves you well today. <laughs> and you mentioned your teacher. Did you have how did your family, being a family-owned business, um, impact how you thought about the world of work? Mm. Um, interesting question. I, you know, my dad worked six days a week until, actually until I was in high school. Uh, during the summer, he would, he would take Saturdays off because we were a big water skiing family, and we would go water skiing. But uh, other than that, he worked hard, and then we were all responsible for having, we had to have some sort of a paid job from, like, the time we were in seventh grade on, um, you know, with either doing something for neighbors or, you know, once we were in high school, having an actual job. So I don't know. I just I just saw working as a part of everyday life, to be honest, and obviously I saw my dad work really hard. And what made you want to follow in the family business? You know, I didn't grow up really thinking about being in the family business because I'm the youngest of four children and I have three older brothers. And my oldest brother is the most like my father in terms of being the natural engineer and really inventive and creative. Um, But when I got to college, I really, you know, I, I shifted gears and I got involved in business and I loved um, marketing, and went out and had a career in in retail business, and then um, that company ended up having to uh, go into bankruptcy. <laughs> and so, 
I came to work for my dad on just a project-based scope. I thought I'd come do the project for him. I was sort of in between uh, employers and my in my business career, and you know, like I said, <laughs> 27 years later, now I'm there and now I'm the owner and I'm I'm the only child involved. So it really it really grew on me and the and the love. I think, like I said, I love technology, and when you get there and you see how things are made, I am just fascinated on how things are made. And, you know, sometimes my friends don't understand what I do, but I ask them, do you ever watch that show, How Things Are Made? They're like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I love it. And I said, that's my job. I get to go out and, you know, I travel a lot. I try to be out and see customers. But I get to go, you know, into the back and see how all our customers make things. And I am just immensely fascinated by that. And I love, I love that manufacturing, manufacturing makes something, that it's a tangible outcome from the processes. And that just excites me. I love that. Yeah, and... I think what you also embody is there are a lot of paths to this. So you started with one of your older brothers, just like your dad, the engineer, and that would be a natural place to go to think to manufacturing, yet you came out of retail and marketing and business to, again, the same fascination. I came, you know, non-traditional path as Uh well into it and I'm like you I'm a complete geek about how things are made like someone wants to take me on a plant tour I'm like the first in line let me let me go let me see let me meet the people that make really cool stuff and that I'm I'm like you I'm like grinning like the Cheshire cat thinking "Ooh, making stuff is super cool (laughs) and coming to the business with that focus actually gave me clearly my own lane against my dad because I wasn't trying to to compete in skill set versus him and it was something actually that the company had never had um, when I arrived we had a sales manager and unlike Elvis he never left the building so (laughs) I got there thinking okay we had we had no marketing we had a sales manager who never left the building so there was nowhere but opportunity for me to be able to take my skills and impact the company and grow the company through the sales and marketing side and like I said there was no competition between my dad and I because it was completely different skill sets well, company. yeah, and uh, I'll say ultimately nothing happens till a sale gets made, period. Exactly. <laughs> you don't need to make anything yeah. unless somebody's going to buy it. So, yeah. yeah. So it was That's really all. fun because it was really, in some ways, a, a lot of just blank slate, you know, canvases yeah. that I was able to put together programs. And then it's exciting when you can start to see the impact of your efforts and the direct correlation to what you're doing and the growth of the company. Yeah, well, and again, as you started at the front end, your first acquisition, looking at my notes here, 2015, 2000, right, 2015 yep. or yeah. 2000. So, so there you go. It, you you came, you walked in the door, and it was in one position, and you know, so much stronger, and now growing through acquisition, sales mm-hmm. and marketing really matters. <laughs> it does. 
It does, yeah. and I was very lucky. The the company I was at in retail was actually a beta site for IBM, and so I wow. didn't realize it, but I was doing my job completely online, which back at this time in, in the 80s, uh, not a lot of people were doing. And so yeah. I had, I had a, a, a vision that not many people even, regardless of whether it was my, the family business or not, or didn't. I mean, I did my job on a computer every day. We had Internet. Nobody even knew what Internet was. I, I, my budget, um, I was a buyer. Everything was done online and electronically. I didn't realize how far ahead I was having that experience, but I was able to come and use that for the good of the company. So, like, our website is, um, you know, it's just a three-letter website. When the Internet started, that's what you got, right? So we're www.bwc.com. And I can remember people were telling me, well, what's this Internet? No one's one's ever going to use that in B2B, and they definitely won't use it in manufacturing. But I said, hey, we're going to go buy this domain. Trust me, it's going to make a difference. And um, so it's been fun to be sort of the visionary on seeing the impact that uh, technology was going to have and really believing it didn't matter if we were B2B or B2C, but it was how business was going to get done. Yeah. Well, and I, in my opinion, manufacturers tend to be laggers, not leaders in that front. So Mm -hmm. as an early adopter, not just across industries, but within manufacturing, I mean, I can even remember during my time at the Institute when the NAM was not as, um, advanced in its social media strategy, you cornering mm-hmm. me and saying, why aren't we <laughs> tweeting? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I remember 5, that followers. Lady, well. You remember yeah. that conversation? I, <laughs> and I remember when I was telling people we need to get on this, this is how we can start to change the conversation. A lot of people rolling their eyes and saying, what's this social media? And no one's going to use Twitter and and all of that, and and look how much it's a part of the daily conversation. Well, yeah, <laughs> for good or bad, 145 exactly. <laughs> characters have huge influence. And again, I I've always appreciated that forward-thinking nature. How has how do you think your role has changed over time? From let's see, you started as a project project to president. Um, you know, what does your scope look like today? Well. As I said, I came in originally to create the IIPP for the company. The California had passed the Senate Bill 198, which the media termed uh, the Be a Manager, Go to Jail Act. But this piece of legislation uh, dictated that every company have have an injury and illness prevention plan. And I knew nothing about safety. But um, as I said, I, I needed something to do as I was hanging out looking for my, my next job, which I thought was going to be as a buyer again for another you know, retail business. Or at least, actually, I was already starting to think about going to the manufacturing side and working for the companies making the goods that were sold in retail. But I figured I can surely figure out safety health and safety. And so I came and started working on that and actually really loved the whole environmental. um, We have really strong environmental laws in California, and I went to UC Berkeley and got my hazardous materials management 
certificate and got really involved in the National Safety Management Society and just loved that lane. And then I slowly just started having every job just about on you could have not on the production floor on the other side. And I was the receptionist for a while and I worked in accounting and, you know, just kept having different jobs. And, and meanwhile, I kept thinking, well, I guess I'm going to leave. I better leave. But I love to learn. And it was, I think, for me, just actually fun to be able to do all the different jobs within a company and see everybody's job from, you know, from doing the job myself. So now when I talk to somebody, I, I know what it's like to be an AP because I've done accounts payable. I've been the receptionist up front. Um, you know, so having all of that, I think, actually helps me now in my role because I've done so many of the jobs uh, that now report to me that yeah. I have, you know, a, a good sight line into what their challenges are every day. But it really kind of just organically happened, and and then you know, when it came when it came time, and when I became um, president, um, I realized, well, I guess I'm staying. <laughs> So, and then, you know, and then after that, it was like, well, if I'm going to stay, then, you know, this really needs to be um, the vision for me, what I see of this company. And, you know, and then that was really the transition between my, my father and myself and having an agreement that, you know, at this point, you know, he, he, he quote unquote went to work till he was 88. He used wow. to come out a couple of days a week, but he hasn't actively really worked in the company for um, a long, long time. So was, yeah, we, had a, we had a pretty good transition between the two of us. And like I said, I think it was because there really was never any competition between the two of us. We did such different things. Yeah. And it sort of sounds, and I'm sure your team knows this, that compassionate leadership, you know, high expectations. <laughs> but true understanding of every yeah. functional role. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes it uh I, I catch people <laughs> off guard because they'll complain about CRM or something and I'll say, Well remember, you know, I've done that job and I've put things into the records for CRM when we were, you know, four platforms back where and we didn't have multiple monitors on our desk and you know, somehow I was able to achieve getting the data in that field. So let's let's figure out how you can do this with all the technology that you now have. Uh, I'm sure it's possible. Right, and likely possible from your phone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, again, compassionate and understanding, yet driving towards a high-performance environment. I'm curious if you've had a mentor and sponsor along the way or if you have one today that helps influence who you are as a leader yeah i'm i'm lucky i've had several really fabulous mentors especially when i first became president there was a a gentleman who had been part of our supply chain who had just retired and he you know sort of reached out that he was looking at to be a consultant, and I reached out to him and, you know, sort of shared my story and what was happening in the business, and so he ended up uh, actually becoming my mentor, and then for a while he was an employee, and we're still in touch now, but 
uh, he just, he really took me under his wing and he helped teach me a lot, a lot. I've been lucky. I've had really, really great mentors, but you have to ask. That's the big part of finding a mentor. You have to tell somebody you want to be mentored. And so I've been very lucky to have a series of great mentors. And then I started, we have a board of directors, but then I started an advisory board. And then that's great because I have a whole advisory board, basically, of mentors that come together and, and help um, sometimes change or broaden my viewpoint on things, um, show me where I need to have a bit more focus and so I've been I've been really lucky, as well as I've done several different uh, peer, you know, peer advisory groups, uh, where you get together, you know, with other C-suite people, like WPO. Um, yeah. It's also like Alliance of CEOs out here in the Bay Area for a while, um, and I think those are really important because then, as when you're in those groups for a period of time they can really start to help mentor and, and counsel you with the challenges you're having in your business. Yeah, that's. I think those strong networks are very powerful. And being open-minded to other perspectives, um, I've always found the best mentors are the ones or sponsors that pushed me to see things in myself I didn't ever see and, you know, challenge, equally challenge me. So, you know, you never stop learning, as we talked about earlier. And obviously growing up, I mean, my dad was a huge role model to me because I saw him in the business every day. And we had a very strong culture around um, dinner. So my dad never missed dinner with the family. I mean, mm. even if he had to work late, he would drive home. He'd be with us at dinner. He was always sharing about what was happening uh, within the business. And so obviously seeing him within the company was you know, he was a great role model for me to see how he interacted with the employees, what the decisions he was making um, for the good of the business. You know, I saw that every day growing up. That's neat, because you have that entire longitudinal history bringing to bringing it forward. So I'm going to um, talk a little bit about sort of what paying it forward looks like for you. So, you know, role models are incredibly important. We've talked about the inspiration of the next generation and certainly your engagement with First Robotics and your leadership mm-hmm. within the state of California. And, you know, part of how you and I together equally at the front end of the STEP Awards, how do you pull mm-hmm. together the stories and careers of women in the industry? So you published an article last year on what manufacturing needs, and it talked a bit about inspiring the next generation. Mm-hmm. Can you share your perspective on what that means? I think one of the best ways is actually um, Manufacturing Day. You know, National Manufacturing Day is the first Friday of the month in October, though I think it's kind of expanded to all of October. And we really have a philosophy. Any any school or group that comes to us that wants to come in and see our facility, we open the facility up. And, you know, my production guys are so proud of what they do. I mean, they always say, you know, we love to see chips fly, and they, they love to see the machines, you know, 
making making parts, and they love sharing that passion with kids. And I just have so much fun when we have visitors, having them come in, and and you can see their perceptions changing as they're out on the floor and they see the environment. We have, you know, they. I think people still think of um, Henry Ford and this really dark and dank um, environment, and it's really dirty, and they're doing highly, um, like, repetitive work and, I, I don't, you know, it's just they come in and the first thing they all say is, it's so clean. You know, you could eat off the floor. And so we have a very clean shop. We have a lot of pride in that. Uh, we have a lot of technology on the floor. And I just, I love seeing perspectives shift as people come through. And, and like you were saying before, I think people also forget all the jobs involved in manufacturing. I think when people think about manufacturing, they just think of a production line worker. And there's so much more to making a product. I mean, that's a very important part of the process, but it really opens their minds around all the possibilities for jobs in manufacturing. Um, when I'm with really young kids, I like to use M&Ms because I know all kids love candy. But uh, I take M&Ms and I break down, like, how you make a pack of M&Ms and all the different jobs involved in from, you know, the chemists and the ingredients to the production to the packaging to the sales and the marketing. And you can see them get excited. You can see their minds expand that, you know, manufacturing is, is more than that. And then it's exciting for them to see a woman. I mean, the, the kids are always surprised that the company is run by a woman. And I get that in FIRST Robotics. I mean, it's partly why, you know, you say I'm pretty driven, but one of, our, one of the first national championships for FIRST Robotics, we were there, and when you're a supplier, you have a table, and one of the... The teams were going around talking to the suppliers, asking them questions or, you know, thanking them for being a supplier to the kid of parts. And one young girl came up to me, and she's talking, and then she's like, so, you know, are you in marketing? And I said, no. And I'm like, are you in sales? No. She's like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I own it. And, you know, it kind of broke my heart because her reaction was, well, I didn't know a woman could own a manufacturing company. And I said, well, actually, women can own manufacturing companies or engineering companies or actually anything you want to own, and you could have any job there you wanted. And that comment just really spurred me to try to be as visible as possible in my role to talk to students, and I've gone to colleges as well, just to show women of all ages that you can be involved in this industry and it's a lot of fun wow <laughs> what a moment in time talk about uh making your responsibility as an owner real to the next generation i wonder what that young woman's gone on to do i don't know i've kind <laughs> of wondered yeah yeah i, think I, she I really hope... loved the engineering so i hope she stuck with it yeah that's great so um what do you consider your greatest personal achievement and professional achievement? 
Hmm. Well, I think it's keeping the company viable. You know, as a huh? it's a family legacy. And as I said, you know, when I when I came into my role, I, I was I was sitting in many different roles. And when I came into my role, and really started to get involved as uh, as as a president level, not doing, you know, the, the marketing or whatever, and really got into, like I said, the finances of the company. I I realized that the company was not going to be viable for long if we continued to run the company as it was. So I think for me, seeing that I've been able to, um, you know, I've been able to double the size of the company, I've been able to do that uh, without acquiring debt and actually got us out of debt, uh, that to me is, is a real achievement. But going back to what we were talking about with the employees, you know, having having people that have been with me and I've seen their careers progress uh, because they've had faith in me and faith in the company, and, and as they grow, I'm able to keep giving them bigger roles. I mean, one of my executive leadership team members is one of the people who just celebrated 20 years, and mm-hmm. he came to me in the company and started as a QC inspector, and now he's a vice president. And so seeing somebody's growth like that is immensely rewarding, that we could give that sort of opportunity to an employee, to part of the team. That's great. You hear the pride that I so often hear within our nation's manufacturing facilities just ring true in today's conversation, Pamela. I can't thank you enough for sharing your passion. As you know, um, often when on stage or in a group (laughs) um, on every front, I ask uh, that people take personal responsibility and accountability for this challenge we face in manufacturing and having people understand the passion that we do because we've seen it firsthand. So I always like to give our guests an opportunity to put forward a challenge to our listeners today. So as my guest today, what would you like our listeners to do, having heard your personal journey into manufacturing and through manufacturing? I mean, as you said, I don't like to ever settle for anything. And I think it would be what I said before. is like if you see a gap and you see a problem, don't complain about it. Be part of the solution. Like step up. Give your time, give you you know resources if you can to help change the conversation uh, and change the opportunity, especially for women in manufacturing. Uh, be a role model, be a mentor, and you know create create a really different future than what we see right now. I mean, to me, looking forward, if we can change those numbers in manufacturing and have women be more 50% of the workforce, I think that's going to be really exciting for the world. Not just for manufacturing, but I think the way women approach work and is very collaborative in many respects. And as technology has more and more of an impact on manufacturing, I think it opens up way more opportunities for women to be involved but for it to be shaped better by those type of skill sets coming in and changing the face of manufacturing. And I'll come back to that recognition that you've already received by your peers of economic empowerment. 
there's so much opportunity for growth, for growth for manufacturing, for growth for you know individuals and earning potential. Very sound yeah. advice. And it's very. Key. I mean, advice. I think especially um, the you know as you know, I mean the the wages and the benefits in general that that manufacturing offer uh, are much are much greater than in service-based industries, and so it's a very economically sound decision too to get involved in manufacturing because we do pay well as an industry and we have great benefits that's great good advice and a strong challenge to everyone pamela i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your very busy day to join us on women and manufacturing radio i'm confident by sharing your story we will help to inspire others Um, To our listeners today, please engage in the discussion. As Pamela said, we need to be on the front end of this conversation. So engage on Twitter at hashtag women and MFG. And tune in next week for another inspiring story. Pamela, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.